to Easter. Can you believe that? We're on the road to Easter. And last week we covered Palm Sunday before Palm Sunday. I have to because we got to cover several events that happened in the final week of Jesus' life. So I have to go this way. First there was Palm Sunday. Then the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. And I want to read just a couple of verses up here. And normally today we would have already had the Lord's Supper, but we're going to do it at the end. And after I've preached on this and spoken on this and shared on this, and uh, we're going to believe God to heal the sick. We're going to believe God to touch us. So if we can all stand for the reading of the word, and um, then I'm looking forward to partaking of the Lord's Supper with you. It says, as they were eating, now they're in the upper room. They've been miraculously led there. And it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. Now I want you to look at what he did with the bread and say this with me. He blessed, he broke it. He gave it to them and said, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And here's what he said to them. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Now you would think it would say all, many, because many will come to him, not all, but many. Whosoever will, let him call on the name of the Lord. So, Father, we just thank you right now for your word. We pray that, Lord, as we make the journey to Easter and we look at this second event, instituted just days after you entered Jerusalem on the back of a colt. Lord, now teach us the meaning and the power behind what you instituted, the Lord's Supper. And will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart and renew my mind in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank God for the body and blood of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> now, Jesus is instituting here the Lord's Supper that we also call communion. And if you happen to have a Catholic or an Episcopalian background, for instance, it's one of the sacraments. But whatever it's called, Jesus instituted it on a very, very significant day. It was the day where they celebrated Passover. Now, if you don't know what Passover is, let me just quickly recap the meaning of Passover. When the children of Israel were in Egypt and they were being delivered and God sent through Moses all the plagues that he plagued the Egyptians with to, to cause them to turn loose of God's people so they could go to the promised land. They had been languishing in Egypt for 400 years. Now it's time to be sprung and go. The last plague was the one where the Passover happened. The last plague was God judging the firstborn of every human being and every beast, every animal. It says that in Egypt that night, when the death angel moved across the land, there was a great wail and cry that came up from the people because their firstborn died. This hit them right where they lived, right in their heart affection. Because they wouldn't let the people of God go. Now, God had said to his people, I want you to get a lamb without blemish and I want you to slay that lamb. And I want you to apply the blood of that lamb to three places. On both sides of your doorways and the lintel above your head, above the doorway. So that, essentially, when they put the blood above the lintel and on both sides, they were covered in the blood of the lamb. They were covered in the blood of the lamb. 
And God said, when the death angel passes over, when he sees the blood, he will pass over you. He will not judge you, but he will pass over you. Judgment will pass over you, not because you're wonderful, not because of your sterling personality, not because of things that you've done, but because he will see the blood. You will be delivered by the blood. Now, we all get it. We all know what all this was pointing to. It was pointing to the day that the final blood of the Lamb, the Lamb, all caps, the Lamb of God, Jesus would be shed. And Hebrews tells us that when his blood was shed, it was a once for all shedding of blood. It will never have to be done again. No more animals need to be slain. No more sacrifices need to be made because the shedding of Jesus' blood, God's Lamb, would once for all cover the sins of every person who looked to him for salvation. So when we say, Jesus, forgive me, essentially the idea is that the blood of the lamb is applied to the doorpost and the lintel of our heart so that when God judges sin in that final judgment that is going to be so awesome, so terrible, so horrible, that it says every man and woman and child to the age of accountability that has ever lived will be brought before the great white throne judgment of God and their names will be searched for in the book of life. And if their name is not found written in the book of life, they will be judged and condemned for eternity to a Christless hell. That's strong. But those who have said, Jesus, forgive me, the judgment will pass over us. We will not be judged. So the, the, the one and only escape route from the judgment of God, once again, is not our sterling personality or all the good things we do while we're on earth, but is the blood on our life or is it not? If the blood is on our life, then the judgment will pass over us. So I point you today to the cross where the blood of Jesus was shed for you and for me. And that's the only place, the one place, Muhammad can't deliver you from the judgment. Buddha can't deliver you from the judgment. No other world religious leader that has ever lived can deliver you and I from the judgment. Only in the blood of the lamb are we delivered. So, now we notice that back to that first Lord's Supper, when Jesus had gathered his disciples into an upper room, you know, so many good things happen in upper rooms. They did the first Lord's Supper in the upper room. Pentecost fell when they were in the upper room. That's why we're building an upper room. <clears throat> Amen? Now, when they were in the upper room, it says that Jesus took the bread and he did four things. Now, you remember last week when I talked to you about when they were sent to go get the colt? There were four words that were key. Jesus said, go, find, loose, and bring. Can we say it together again? Go, find, loose, and bring. Now, that's really a mandate on all of us. Go find the lost, loose them in the name of Jesus, and bring them to him. And I want you all to do that for Easter. Go find somebody, loose them, tell them, hey, I'll come pick you up and bring you to Easter. And we're going we're gonna to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ that day. But today we've got four more words. I want you to say them with me. It says, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and he gave it. He took, blessed, broke, and gave. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. Now, I'm going to show you today that this is a divine pattern. 
Jesus Christ didn't move to the right or the left outside of the will of God, but what his movement was full of meaning and purpose. Every step he took resounded with destiny and power and meaning. So when Jesus took, blessed, broke, and gave, he wasn't just doing something at random. I'm going to show you that he knew exactly what he was doing and what it pointed to. It was a divine order. God takes, blesses, breaks, and gives. We're going to see that. When you look at Jesus feeding the multitudes in the wilderness, remember they followed him. In the first time he did it, there was 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So I'm going to venture to say at least 10,000 people. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, what are we going to, bring me something. We've got to feed them. And they looked at him like he was crazy and said, feed them. There's thousands here. We don't have enough to feed them. Jesus said, give me what you have. So they found a little boy with a sack lunch. His mom had made him a little sack lunch before, when he said, I want to go follow Jesus today. Okay, well, okay, Johnny, well, here's five loaves and two fishes. Take it. Little did he know that the master would lay his hands on that sack lunch that day. So he said, what can you find? Well, the disciples said, well, gosh, we found this little boy with five loaves and two fishes. And it says that Jesus took, blessed, broke, and gave. He did the same thing. Took it first, blessed it second, broke it third, distributed it, gave it fourth. Now, we see that the second time he fed 4,000. And he said to the disciples, what do we have? And they said, now they're paranoid now. Because the first time, they didn't believe him. They said, he said, what do we have? And they said, again, they said, Lord, we don't have enough to feed this crowd. Do you see how slow they were to learn? Doesn't that make you feel better about you? Because they'd already seen him take five loaves and two fish and multiply them and feed 10,000. Just down the road, a couple of chapters later, they have the same challenge and they didn't know what to do again. They should have said, hey, we've got one loaf of bread, but we know that's enough if it's given to you. But they didn't. Jesus, again, took it, held it up, blessed it, broke it, gave it. Do you think that he was doing this for a reason? You better believe he was. He knew exactly what it pointed to. And I'm going to show you today that it pointed to him. It pointed to Jesus. Because isn't he called the bread of life? Isn't he the bread of life? When you eat of him, you live. That he's the, he's the bread of life. So let me just take these words one at a time. Took, blessed, broke, and gave. Let me take them one at a time. He took the bread. Now we see that Jesus took it when it had been offered to him. It had to first be offered to him. The little boy had to turn loose of the sack lunch. The disciples had to turn loose of the bread the second time. And at the first Lord's Supper, they gave him, they, they gave him the bread and he took it. So all three times we see this divine pattern, took, blessed, broke, gave. First, something was offered to Jesus to take and he took it. Now I want you to hold that thought. I'm going to blow your mind with a theological truth that is so profound, neither myself or you can wrap our minds around it. But let me tell you the truth anyway. Here's what the Bible says. One of the incredible facts surrounding the whole redemption that is ours through Jesus Christ is that the decision for Jesus to come as our Savior was made before the world began. 
Don't you feel that way? Oh. Now stop and listen to this. 1 Peter 1.20 says, He, Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Now here's the mind blower. In eternity past, before God said, let there be light, or as the poet wrote, before he spat out the oceans or carved out the valleys, when there was nothing yet but the Godhead in eternity, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost had a talk. God knew that the, the man he was going to create would fall. And in eternity past, God the Son said, I will go for them. I will go to earth and wrap myself in skin. I will become one of them. I will feel their pain and I will die on a cross for their sin and I will rise from the dead. And he offered himself the bread of life to God and God took it. God took it. So when Adam was formed, man's salvation had already been decreed, decided, and set in stone. I'm waiting a minute because I know I need to give you time to think. I have to think. When Jesus offered himself, God took him. There's the first word, took, blessed, broke, gave. When God, when, when Jesus said, I will go, God received his offer and God took him as the savior of the world, as the bread of life, as our redeemer and our savior. So it was decreed. Just as Jesus took the bread in his sacred hands, the bread offered to him for the 5,000, the bread offered to him for the 4,000, the bread offered to him uh, to institute the first Lord's Supper. As he took it, he knew, folks, believe me, he knew this was a picture of him. That's why he said, this is my body. Given for you. That's it. Powerful. So everybody say, God took him. Now, the next thing we're told is that Jesus took that bread and he blessed it. He blessed it. He would, he would hold it up. I wish I had a, I don't have a loaf of bread up here, but if I did, just imagine I do. He would hold it up in front of everybody, in front of these crowds, in front of the disciples. He held it up and he blessed it. Now, folks, words matter. The word blessed is a powerful, wonderful word. And do you know what? It's a Christian word. It is a spiritual word. It's a biblical word. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things that aren't very politically correct, but the Bible is so unpolitically correct that you can't quote it and be politically correct. People may talk about blessings in their lives, but the non-Christian, I'm going to go ahead and say it, the non-Christian has no idea what real blessing is. Now, they may say, oh, I was blessed with this or blessed with that, but that's watering the real power and import of the word down. Because only a born-again child of God, washed in the blood of the Lamb, truly knows what it is to be blessed in the sense of Bible blessing. Because true blessing comes from God alone, and it comes via the person of Jesus Christ. True blessing. 
Have you ever noticed that when Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest dissertation on life and living in the entire world, you ought to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as the way that we're all supposed to live. If we live that way, our house will never crumble or fall. Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount with the eight Beatitudes, and every one of those Beatitudes tells us how to be blessed. Jesus was all about blessing. He launched his ministry, blessing people. He ascended into heaven again, blessing people. He was all about blessing. He began and concluded his whole earthly mission with blessing people. And, and I read just recently how he would call little children to himself. And he would, he would pick the children up and he would lay his hand on their head and bless them. And I just imagined that that child, when he grew up, was certainly blessed. Wouldn't you love to have Jesus lay his hands on you? I caught you. He already has. He already has. Well, pastor, I've never felt a hand touch me. You've got the Holy Ghost living inside of you. He has laid his hand on you. He has laid his hand on you. So Jesus is all about blessing. So what's the word mean? What is the power of the Bible word? It means to cause somebody to prosper, to make happy to bestow blessings on or to show favor to. But it means something else. And this is where I'm going today. It also means when you use the word blessed, especially when Jesus used it with the bread, this is the Greek word he used. It means to consecrate something with solemn prayers or to ask God's blessing on a thing. It means you take something, that, that loaf of bread was just a plain old loaf of bread until Jesus got hold of it. And when Jesus got hold of it and Jesus blessed it, it was no longer a normal piece of bread. It became bread that multiplied, bread that fed the masses, bread that was supernatural. It was not normal bread. And so it is when God takes you and me and when God took Christ who said, I will go, then God blessed him and God consecrated him. For a divine and a holy purpose. Are you ready? That his life, death, burial, and resurrection would feed the masses. That he would die for our sins. What was Jesus consecrated to do? If you consecrate something, it means you're taking it. It's normal. It's regular. It's common. But once you consecrate it, it is set aside for divine use. But what use? God's use. But what was God's use for Jesus? The consecrated, blessed Christ, that he would die for the sins of the world. Jesus said, I will go. God took him. Then God blessed him, set him aside, consecrated him. You, my son, and you only, will die for the sins of mankind. You will hang on a cross. You will spill your blood. You will be abused and beaten. You will die and you will rise from the dead and you have been consecrated. He's the only man in the history of the world that was born to die, born to die for the sins of men. Jesus knew this. He said, for even I, the Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Ransom is a money word. Ransom means you, you, something is being purchased Jesus was saying, you're lost. Mankind is lost in sin. Mankind is going to hell. Mankind is lost forever unless there's an intervention. You ever, ever watch that show, Intervention? Somebody is about to just totally self-destruct if somebody doesn't intervene. 
And they have the family get together, and the family brings them in. When they don't know, the family is bringing them in for an intervention. And they walk in, and there's all the family. They're all crying. They've got things they're going to read to them. And here sits the drug addict or the alcoholic or whatever. And they sit down, and the whole family tells them how much they love them. And they intervene so they don't self-destruct. Let me tell you about a more powerful intervention than that. Jesus came to die for you and for me because we are self-destructing without him. We will self-destruct if we don't know him. We will die and go into a Christless eternity without him. But when Jesus was sent and born in Bethlehem and grew up and died on that cross, it was a divine intervention. And the only thing that could purchase us out of the hands of the devil and the curse of the law was not earthly currency, but the currency of the blood. And Jesus slapped the currency of that blood down at the divine bar of God and said, I have given my blood for the sins of men. And when he gave his blood for the sins of men, we were purchased out of bondage into freedom, out of lostness into found, out of blindness into sight. So say with me, he took him, he blessed him, and then the Bible says he broke the bread. And once again, you see the life of Jesus here, folks. Each and every time, there was first the taking, and then there was the blessing, the setting aside, and then there was the breaking, and then there was the giving. It was always in that divine order. It never changed. And so he took him, he blessed him, set him aside for the purpose of the cross, and then he broke him. Having been taken by the Father in eternity past as our sacrifice lamb, and having been blessed by the one consecrated for the divine, Father's divine purpose of dying for our sins, Jesus was broken. I want you to hear me. No one was ever broken for you and me but him. Jesus was broken. Isaiah so explicitly describes it that it's difficult to read. When I read, when I read the end of the Gospels and what they did to my Jesus, I'm going to tell you, it is difficult for me every time. When I read of the way they slapped him and beat him and mistreated him, it hurts. It puts a dagger in my heart every time. I've read it recently and it's difficult. What he was broken, the, the extent to which he was broken. Isaiah the prophet wrote, he was despised and rejected by mankind. He suffered rejection, ostracism. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. You know what it's like to be so despised, people won't even look you in the eye? They turn away from you so they don't have to acknowledge you? And to know that even Simon Peter did it? He was held in low esteem. Isaiah writes, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. In other words, he's saying the people of his time who watched this happening to him said, well, this is happening to him because God's against him, because he blasphemed and said he was the son of God. So this is, this is God's punishment on him, and they failed to discern that he was bearing their pain and their judgment and their sorrow. Here goes Isaiah prophesying before there ever was anything called a cross. He was pierced for our transgressions, 
crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, doing our own thing, doing whatever our evil, wicked, sinful heart told us to do. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, so that as Jesus hung there between heaven and earth, it was on a cross, church, a cross that pointed up and a cross that pointed both directions pointed up as if God was saying, put your faith in him and I will carry you up into glory. Put your faith in him horizontally and my arms will wrap around you in love and you will discover the love of God. The cross takes you up redemption into relationship with God and it brings his love wrapping itself around you in a great big divine hug. That's the cross. Jesus was broken. God took him. God blessed him. God broke him. As the grape must first be crushed before the fruit of the vine can be enjoyed, our Savior first had to be broken before God's rich salvation could be enjoyed by all of us. The Son of God was taken. He was blessed, consecrated, set aside for this purpose, and then he was broken. He was broken for you. And when the judgment comes, God's not going to say, well, what'd you do for people? You know, did you give away the money you made? Were you, were you good to orphans and widows? And did you do good things, good deeds? And, and uh, were you popular? Did, did you have a lot of money? Did you do well? Did you, did you never get a traffic ticket? Did you, did, were you good to your family, good to your wife, good to your husband? Were you good people? He's not going to say that at all. He's going to say, I'm looking for one thing. I'm looking for the blood on the doorposts and on the lentil. I'm looking for the blood. Because anybody that goes to heaven isn't going by your own effort. You're going by the merit of the Son of God who loved us, who was taken, who was blessed, and who was broken. Have you done that? Have you asked Jesus to come into your heart? Is his blood covering your heart? Are you sure? Are you positive? Because that's the number one question of life. That one. Then comes the good part. He gave. Took, blessed, broke, and then gave. The distribution of the bread always followed the taking, the blessing, and the breaking. That's the divine order. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus gave himself away. Taken, blessed, broken, given. It struck me this week. He didn't just give himself on the cross. He gave himself his whole life. Let me read out of John 17. He gave himself away in his teaching. Jesus said in John 17, 8, I have given to them the words which you have given me. He gave himself away in his prayer life. He said, I pray for them. He told the Father about the disciples and all that would believe in him. I pray for them that you would keep them from evil. You know where Jesus is right now? He's at the right hand of God the Father, ever living to make intercession for you and me. And you know what he's praying? He's praying we're kept from the evil one. And then he gave himself away by living a sanctified life. Listen to this. For their sakes, Jesus said, I sanctify myself. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So Jesus lived a holy life. 
He would have lived it anyway, but he said, I've, I've lived a holy life partially for the sake of those watching me so that they too can be sanctified. I've lived a holy life for others. I've lived for others, not for me. It's not all about me, it's about them. And then, of course, he gave himself away totally, ultimately, consummately on the cross. The Bible says he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And there, your Savior and mine hung for our sins, was hanged up on that cross. And I tell people, you'll find yourself in that cross. Your destiny is in that cross. Your eternal future is in that cross. Your forgiveness and healing and peace and deliverance are in that cross. Jesus dying on that cross for you and for me is where heaven intersected earth. And God in that intersection said to the whole world, I love you. I love you. So say with me, he was taken, blessed, broken, and given. Now, as... Our ushers are preparing the communion. I want you to listen. I want to end it with this. Watch this. This was the life of Jesus, taken, blessed, broken, and given. But you know what? It's your life and mine as well. Watch this. When I came to the Lord in juvenile home uh, in 1969, I was in juvenile home for sale of narcotics, sitting in jail, Never heard the gospel, didn't know Jesus, wasn't raised in church, none of that. And I heard the gospel. And you know, if you've been here for a while, you know my story. I heard the gospel, came to Christ. And that night, I asked God, or I'm sorry, I asked the guard to leave the light on in my cell so that I could read this little New Testament that had been given to me. And amazingly, he left the light on. And I began to read. And that night, I made a prayer. I said, Jesus, I've made a terrible mess in my life. But if you can do anything with it, I give myself to you. You know what he did? Took me. And then you know what he did? He blessed me. He set me aside for divine use. Then you know what he did? Let me know. That is no longer my will, but his. And he, and he broke my stubborn self-will, which is always what got me in trouble in the first place. So when I say he breaks you, I don't mean he does something terrible to you. Guys, you can start. Go ahead and pass them out when you're ready. When he breaks us, it means we live for him and no longer for ourselves. He takes our will. And our will is merged with his will. And we say in Jesus' prayer, not my will, but thine be done. And so I'm up here today distributing what he gave me. See, folks, until you're broken, he can't distribute much through you. But when he has your will and you're submitted to him and you're living for the lordship and under the lordship of Christ, then your will is broken and he can distribute Jesus himself through you to feed the masses. Amen. So as we partake of this Lord's Supper today, we're going to do it with a whole new understanding. And how many of you can say, I know it's true, Jeff, that when I give him myself, he takes me, he blesses me, he breaks my stubborn self-will, and he uses me to reach others for him. Amen? And we're going to sing while this is being passed out. 
And as we always do, I want you to...